This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs.
that is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Of course, that song was also a prayer, and uh, that's what we need. That's what I want. That's what we need. Let's just still our hearts one more time before we open the Word. Father, I just ask that you would just come and fill our hearts, fill our church, fill our community, fill our families with your presence. God, would you give us... um, would you give us insight today into your word as we as we open it and as we try to study father i just pray that your holy spirit would just do a work that we can't do but just go behind the scenes and do a work today i pray this in jesus name amen <clears throat> Last week, we studied the American myth that God always, above all else, wants us to be happy. And if you were here last week, uh, you remember us saying that that is so not true. You don't find that in the Bible. Because if if we are as that little song that uh, many of us have sung, I'm in, right out, right up, right down, right happy all the time. How many of you remember that song? A few of you. But but if that were the case, if there were always happiness in our lives, there would never be any spiritual depth. And so God's Word never says that His greatest goal is our happiness. That is a myth that our American version of Christianity has shaped into what we want. Well, today, even though I didn't necessarily set out to make this a series, I think that while we're at it, I would like to try to debunk another myth that our American version of Christianity has promoted. And quite frankly, I've I've heard quite a few church people, including some of you, promote this false concept of God. It's a myth, but the myth that God won't put more on you than what you can handle. Now, I I know that rubs some of you the wrong way. And, you know, this is a statement that is generally said while someone is going through a difficult time. Maybe they're they're already struggling financially and then the transmission goes out of their car. Or or maybe they get a bad report from the doctor. Or maybe their marriage is in the process of just blowing up. Or or maybe they're battling depression. And, And when they reach a low point in their lives... When they feel like they can't take it anymore, along along comes some well-meaning Christian. And they will invariably give you one of two pieces of annoying advice. The the first piece of annoying advice is, oh, don't worry, don't worry. When God closes a door, he opens a window. Well, what does that mean? I mean, if you're on the 12th floor, doesn't sound like good news to me. And, And next time someone says that to you, just say, I don't understand. Would you please clarify what you're saying? You know, it's a saying that most of us don't don't understand. But but the second statement, what I really want to get to is that well-meaning people will often, you know, say when, when you're going through overwhelming problems, they will say, hey, hey, don't worry. It's all going to be okay. Remember, God will 
never give you more than you can handle. And this is going to shock some of you, but this is a myth. Nowhere does the Bible say that. And I, I know some of you are thinking, but Pastor, I know you're wrong on this one. I'm going to call, I'm just going to call your attention on this because I know I've read that someplace in the Bible. Well, probably the misconception for this comes about because we've misquoted a verse in 1 Corinthians. And, and I want to read that verse here in just a moment. Uh, but, but the setting for that verse is that the Apostle Paul was talking to the Corinthian people and, 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 and he was talking to them about temptation and he was giving them some words of encouragement. Let me just go ahead and read it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation. That's the key word right there, temptation. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. And and, and this is the part that many people misquote. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So this scripture is all about temptation. It's not about going through overwhelming trials and circumstances. You know, this verse gives you the good news that that, that God won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. When you're tempted, God will give you strength to stand against the temptation and he will give you a way out. You don't have to fall into temptation. And that's amazing news. You better say amen. But people misquote this verse. And they say, well, God promises he won't put more on us than what we can handle. And that's not what the verse says. And this may further disturb our version of Christianity that, that always likes things easy. But when you look at the entirety of the Bible, you will see story after story of people who went through overwhelming situations that were more than they could handle on their own. You know, for example, in the book of Judges, there was a man named Gideon. And, and he said, I'm the weakest of my clan. I'm, I'm the least in my family. And God, I don't have it takes. I don't have what it takes to do what you want me to do. It's more than I can handle. Moses also had more than he could handle. He said, God, I'm slow of speech. Many people think that Moses perhaps was a stutterer. He said, I'm not a good leader. And, and these people are wearing me out. He said, I can't lead these two million people any longer. Well, then King David, when the weight of his sin caught up with him, he said this in Psalm 38, 4, my guilt overwhelms me. And listen to this. You can just feel the anguish. He said, it's a burden too heavy to bear. In other words, it's more than I can handle. And then four verses later, he says, I'm exhausted, completely crushed. My groans come from an anguished heart. And then the Apostle Paul went through experiences that were more than he could handle. And in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8, it says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure. Listen to this. Far beyond our ability to endure. More than I can take, God. And even Jesus Christ in the New Testament, uh, in the book of Mark, chapter 14, verse 33, it says he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be filled with horror and deep distress. He told him, and just listen to this, try, try to catch the emotion here. He said, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. So instance after instance in the Bible, we see that God allowed people to go through more than what they could handle in their own strength. 
And so today I want us to work through this common myth and give a couple of reasons why God will occasionally allow us to go through more than what we can handle on our own. The first reason he does this is to help us to learn to depend on his presence. Let me make a statement right out of the chute that you might want to write down, or maybe it's in there, I don't know, but you might want to just bold it or underline it, whatever. It is easier to serve God through adversity than it is through prosperity. Let me repeat that again. It's easier to serve God through adversity than it is through prosperity. You know, when things are going really well for us, there's a tendency for us to get casual in our relationship with God. But when things are falling apart, it seems that we're more open to God. In fact, do you realize, this This may surprise you, very few people out of the clear blue come to church and begin to seek God when their lives are going great. Rather, most of us begin to seek God when our marriage is falling apart or our job is getting shaky or our kids are, are going down the wrong road or we've gotten some bad medical news or we've gotten in trouble with the law and are facing some charges that may lead to jail time. Uh, you know, I, I can't even begin to know how many people over the past two, de- two decades have come to this church when they were in trouble. And probably the most common reason, putting up bluntly, there have been dozens and dozens of people that have come to this church when their marriage was in trouble. And we always welcome them and we thank God that they're here. And, and you know, sometimes God wakes people up through this. But, but here's what I found out. And this is really sad, but after things normalize, maybe their marriage gets back on track or sometimes they go ahead and get divorced and they go their separate ways. But after a little while, they find someone else and, and they establish some semblance of peace in their, in their home. Many times those people will back away from God. Again, it's easier to serve God through adversity than it is through prosperity. We have a tendency to come running to God because of our problems. I heard the story of a pastor that was flying across the country and and the lady seated by him said, Sir, what do you do for a living? And let me actually back up a minute here. You know, some of us as pastors hesitate to reveal what we do for a living. And, and I guess I can't speak for every pastor, but uh, it's not that I'm embarrassed of, of being a pastor, even though, you know, I found that some people think that pastors are those who can't make it in the real world. And so... They're less talented, and they decide, decide to become a pastor, and, and that may be true in, in this instance here. But, um, but anyway, I'm, I'm not embarrassed of being a pastor. I'm honored with the calling that God has placed on my lives. But, but sometimes I hesitate to reveal what I do because it creates some crazy reactions within people. Um, one reaction is that people will sometimes just clam up. You know, they're intimidated by a pastor and, and maybe afraid that they will let a cuss word slip, and so they just won't talk. Another reaction that is common when they hear that I'm a minister is that they will say, oh, yeah, I have a relative that's also a minister. And I will say, well, that's great. What relation would they be to you? And they say, okay, let me see. It's my first wife's second cousin's uncle's son-in-law's ex-brother's father or something like that. And, and uh, I, I will say, oh, you know, that's nice. And, but, but the third response is that sometimes they will all of a sudden turn into a religious freak. You know, for the first five minutes, we had a conversation where they were throwing in some cuss words, but then they asked, what do you do for a living? I said, well, uh, I'm a pastor. And it's like immediately they will go, oh, praise the Lord, brother. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. And oh, yeah, I'm a member of a church, too. And and I go, oh, oh really? Where? 
and they will tell me where and you know sometimes I like to see people squirm a bit I know you can't imagine that in me but I will say oh okay you go to church uh, there what's your pastor's name and you know if it's around here I, I know the pastor's name but I'm just seeing if they know it and 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 they will say oh man it's on the tip of my tongue you know I'm just getting more and more forgetful all the time and if you wouldn't have asked me I could have told you the name of my pastor and which lets me know they probably haven't been to church since last Easter. They're C and E Christians. You've heard of them Christmas and Easter, or Easter and Christmas uh, Christians. But anyway, I got off track. Back to my story. I, I, I heard about this pastor who was flying. The lady said, what do you do for a living? And, and, and the pastor was honest. He didn't lie this time. And and uh, he did reveal what, what, he, what he did. And he said, well, I'm pastor of a church. And, and she shot back and said, well, that that's fine as long as you remember two things. Number one, I'm not a Christian. Number two, I do not want to be one. And so don't try to convert me on this light. Let's just get that out in the open here at the very beginning. And and the pastor said, well, fair enough. You know, we'll just try to enjoy the flight together. And and uh, and they were having a good non-threatening conversation. And, and midway through the flight, they hit some awful turbulence. And, and, and the pastor described this turbulence as turbulence from hell. It was that bad. And, and I don't know how many of you have been in turbulence from hell while flying. I, I have a few times. And and I remember one time I was flying with my family, and all of a sudden the bottom dropped out. And and we fell, I don't know how far, and, and the engines were screaming to try to get some lift. And and as much as I've flown, I, I, you know, I've been through a lot of turbulence, but I thought this was the end. And and uh, you know what? People were, were hurt. They were thrown around. There were paramedics waiting for us at the airport when we landed to take care of those who had been injured. But But anyway, what I found out is that during those times of turbulence, revival sometimes breaks out (laughs) and even if your theology doesn't allow it people get saved and sanctified all over again several times on the same flight and but anyway when they when they hit the turbulence the lady started cussing up a blue streak and the pastor said it it was like she had the gift of cussing which i didn't know that was a gift but i uh, but but he said she even created new combinations of cuss words that he didn't know were possible and, and she was going like, I'm sorry, pastor, but bleep, 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 bleep. And and after a couple of minutes of this, the pastor was kind of enjoying watching her freak out. Um, he leaned over her to her for fun and said, are, are you still sure you don't want me to convert you? <laughs> and she's like, bleep you. And she was still going for it. And well, after about five minutes of, of this turbulence from hell, she couldn't take it any longer. And she finally blurted out, okay, pastor, would you please pray for me? You know, all of that to say that one of the reasons that God allows us to go through, quote unquote, turbulence in life or allows us to go through more than what we can handle is to be taught to depend on the presence of the Lord. And you can really see the reality of this in the Old Testament story of Jonah. If, if you know his story, basically God said, hey, go preach to the Ninevites. Jonah was, nah, negative, not happening. I don't like them. They don't like me, not going. And if you know the story, he took a ship in the opposite direction and a storm came up. He was, you know, they threw him into the into the water on his request and but a water calmed down, a giant fish swallowed him up. But listen to what he said. This is so powerful. In Jonah chapter 2, verse 2, he said, In my distress, I called to the Lord. 
Now, notice what Jonah didn't say. Jonah didn't say, in my success, I called out to the Lord. He said, in my distress, I called out to the Lord. We often overlook God in our success, but we call out to him in our distress. And back to the scripture that we read earlier about Paul in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8 says we were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure in other words it was like this is more than what i can handle says so that we despaired even of life indeed our hearts felt we felt indeed in our hearts we felt the sentence of death but listen to this said but this happened all of this overwhelming stuff happened so that we might not rely on ourselves but on god And I came to tell somebody this. I know that that sounds kind of like a television preacher, but I I came to tell somebody that you need to understand this. Never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. Never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. So why would God allow you to go through more than you can handle on your own? Well, sometimes it's to teach you to call upon him. Jonah said, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. Well, the second reason that God sometimes allows us to go through more than we can handle is to help us to depend on his power. You know, the truth is that many of us are doing life on our own. You know, we're think, we think we're strong enough to handle whatever comes our way. And the result is that we've never tapped into the power source that God has for us. You know, when I was growing up as a a kid, of course, I was raised in South America as a missionary kid and born there. But on one of our furloughs to the States, um, for their transportation, my parents bought a little Dodge Dart. And, of course, that car was fairly small and... It was small enough to where my parents could reach to the back seat and discipline us with one hand if we were misbehaving. And, you know, they would tell you to stay on your side. They would draw that imaginary line and, and say, kid, you better not cross that line. And, and, of course, I was always the obedient kid in my family, but my brother and sister weren't. <laughs> and they were always the troublemakers, and, and they were always rebellious. And, and they would pierce that imaginary line, you know, with their finger and... And mom and dad would sometimes reach back and squeeze them and and paralyze them to where they couldn't move for a week or, you know, whatever. I'm embellishing this a little bit, obviously. But but part of the problem that made us misbehave more was that we didn't have the luxury that kids have today. I mean, uh, kids go on road trips and, you know, their parents have bought them iPods, iPads, uh, video games, uh, DVD players, all of that, you know, just they've got it all. and, And so they can be entertained on a road trip. But you know, we didn't have that. And, of course, mom and dad, as missionaries, they had to do fundraising when they would come back. So we were we were on the road every week and hours and hours driving to, you know, basically all, all over the country. Uh, so, so you know, we, we didn't have all of those modern things in, in, in a vehicle. The only thing that we had that was really cool back then, and some of you might remember that, was that little flat area under the back window, you know, where the speakers were. And what was so cool about this area is, was that little kids, you could climb up there and play or take a nap. I mean, there was nothing unsafe about that at all. And, uh, 
you know, this was just one awesome place to be. And it just kind of cracks me up. That's the way we grew up. And, you know, we were wherever in the car. And and uh, today, you better not go across the parking lot unless you are buckled in in your car seat. And, and I know that's that's the law. But uh, we, we somehow survived that. Uh, <laughs> but this was one awesome place to be right there underneath that back window. And, you know, if your dad was really cool... And if you could get him to work with you, you could take your race cars and put them up there and and get him to swerve back and forth. And, you know, the race cars would go from one side to the other. You know, just back and forth. Your dad's just swerving, you know, as a cool dad. And and, and you probably didn't have as cool of a childhood as I did. But, um, you know, it was awesome to play up there. And it was awesome to take a nap there. And, and you know, today, you know, when kids get in, in the vehicle, they call shotgun. They want to ride up in front. Well, this was so much better than riding shotgun. Um, anyway... We had this little Dodge Dart, and uh, it was a dog when it came to power. Uh, you, you, uh, you know, you would get a chance to, to pass uh, a little horse and buggy, and you would need about 10 miles going downhill to get, be able to pass that, 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 that little horse and buggy. And so, uh, you know, that, that thing just did not have the power. And when I got older, I wanted a car that had the goods. I mean, no little engine for me. I, I wanted a car with power. And so when I got old enough, um, you know, I've told you I got this 1977 Baby Blue Grand Prix that had a 404 barrel engine. That machine had the power. It would fly. And you didn't want to pull up to a stop light beside me and rev your engine because you were going to look bad. You would eat my dust. My car would be faster than yours, guaranteed. And, and, and I proved it different times. But well, that's a whole lot of worthless information just to say that that's the exact picture of what many of us are doing. You know, we're, we're kind of messing around with this little Dodge Dart that has no power. We're using our strength. We're saying, I can do this. I've got this. And, you know, we've been programmed to believe that the lie that God will never give us more than what we can handle. And so we keep on trying and we keep on peddling for all we are worth and You know, the truth is that we were not created to have all the power to do everything on our own. We were created to need God. And frankly, the sooner that you realize this, the sooner you will graduate from a Dodge Dart to having a divine engine that will power you through all of the steep mountains of life that you will have to climb. Because there is more power in God that is available to us than the power we have in ourselves. The Apostle Paul talked about a thorn in his flesh. And, you know, scholars, they've debated what was the thorn. We don't know that. Uh, I mean, it's been speculated that uh, maybe he had an eye problem because Paul in his letter to the Galatians said, that said, I know you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. And so based on that scripture... We wonder if maybe it wasn't a nice situation, but it was such a serious problem that, that he pleaded with God three different times to take it away. And, and just for clarification, I was telling the early morning prayer group, you know, it, it says that three times I prayed that God would take this away. And I don't think, and scholars don't believe it was like, like Paul three times, quick prayers, God, take away this thorn, take away this thorn, take away this thorn. But, but probably it was a prolonged, uh, maybe three different seasons to where he got the churches to pray for him and fast for him. And it was an ongoing process. And, and, and really from my perspective, I'm thinking, okay, if God is going to heal somebody, I'm thinking Paul is a good candidate. 
based on who Paul was and, and all that he had accomplished for Jesus Christ. I'm thinking that he probably had enough faith for that healing. And, and by the way, listen up. If you think this story about Paul doesn't relate to you, you better listen up because there will come a time, I, I, I promise you, if you walk with God long enough, and if you live in this sin-filled world long enough, you're going to find your own thorn. You're going to begin to plead with God, God, would you remove it? You're going to say, God, would you please take away my depression? God, would you please heal my child of these headaches? Or God, would you please fix my marriage? God, would you please turn my son or daughter back to you? Or, or God, would you please help me find a job so I can quit going deeper and deeper into debt? And you pray and you plead and you fast, but for some reason, God doesn't seem to immediately answer your prayer and you begin to feel overwhelmed and, and you think that God has put more on you than what you can handle. And this is exactly where Paul was. It was a thorn. And he had been begging for God and having the churches probably help him pray. And during this time, God spoke to Paul and said something that's so powerful and it ministers to me at such a deep level. And, and I hope it does to you as well. God said, Paul, at this time, I'm not going to take away your thorn. But here's what he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. And then catch this. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Wow. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And, and all of a sudden, it's like Paul understands the big picture. And Paul goes crazy. And, and listen to this. And, and Paul says, okay, if that's the case, then... And, Continuing in this verse, it says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. So Christ's power may rest on me. That, that's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weakness, in insults. And, and do you know what was happening? He was being insulted. And he said, I delight in those insults. And he goes on and says he delights in hardships. Well, what had he been through? Well, he had been beaten. He had been whipped. He had been left for dead. He had been snake bitten. Goes on and says he delights in persecutions and difficulties. And for when I am weak, in other words, when I don't have what it takes, I tap into the supernatural power of God. Then I am strong. Catch that? When he reached the point where he realized, you know what, God, I am so weak. He said, then I can just tap into the power of God and I become strong. Did you know that if you're ever going to do anything significant for God, you will probably have to be brought to a point to where you feel that you're going through more than what you can handle? You realize that? Because if, if, if you feel like you can handle it, you're still doing that on your own. But you've got to come to a point to where you realize, you know what, this problem is bigger than I am. This is a God-sized problem. 
And real honestly, just opening my heart to you, I, there are many times I feel like, God, I can't do this. I mean, I, I, I feel overwhelmed a lot of Sundays. And you may not know this, but because sometimes I can put on a pretty good front, but I don't always feel like preaching. I don't always wake up and go, yeah, I'm so pumped about preaching today. No, you know, sometimes I am. Sometimes I can hardly wait to share God's word, but other times I have a migraine. And, you know, I've told you Saturday nights, rarely do I ever sleep well. There's spiritual warfare. And I, you know, sometimes I'm just fighting battles through the night. And honestly, I don't always feel like going to church. And I don't know if if I can always get through Sundays. And, and then... Uh, on the lighter side, sometimes it's like, hey, I don't want to be critiqued today. I mean, you know what you do. Joe, Joe was average today, so I'll give him a 5 out of 10. Or or Joe, Joe is better than he normally is, and so I'll give him an 8. Or Joe really struggled today, I'll, I'll give him a 2. And, and, and I, I know that stuff goes on every Sunday. It goes with the calling. And, and sometimes I thought, God, could you give me a job where I work with animals so they don't critique me every time I get up and say something? But But, but here's what I want to say. It's when I've struggled during the week and I'm physically and emotionally depleted and I feel I have the least to bring. That's when many times God steps in with His power and says, Joe, you don't have what it takes today, but I do. And so why don't you just let me work through your weakness? Let me step in and show my power. And what I've really discovered is that, you know, if I come in here Sunday mornings and I feel confident in my preparation and feel that I have something good to offer and and I'm rowing in my own strength, that's guaranteed failure. And so I try to make sure that I don't come in here rowing with my power, but I try to quit rowing and and I just try to put up my sail and let God's Spirit power the boat. <laughs> Which makes me wonder if some of you today are rowing and you're rowing and you're rowing and you're getting tired and the waves are up there and you're trying to get somewhere and you're depleted, you're exhausted and you've almost come to the point of believing that you have more than what you can handle on your own. Could I just say that before you reach that point, why don't you throw those oars overboard and just say, God, I can't do this anymore. And why don't you put up your sail and let the wind of God's Spirit power you and, and let God show His strength through your weakness. So God will never give you more than what you can handle. Right? Wrong. That's false theology. It's a myth. It's heresy. God will give you more than you can handle on your own. If you're going to raise toddlers, there will be more than what you can handle. If you have teenagers, there will be more than what you can handle. And I've said many times that, you know, if you have teenagers, now you understand why some animals eat their young. <laughs> you know, if you're going to be invested in ministry, there will be more than what you can handle. If you're a man married to a woman, there will be more than what you can handle. If you're a woman... Married to a man, there will be more than what you can handle. But instead of panicking and freaking out, just understand that God gives you more than you can handle so you can be broken.
and experience His presence and His power. Would you bow your heads with me, please? God, I pray for that single mom who has her hands full, working hard to provide for her kids. I pray for that mom when she feels like she can't go on any longer. I pray that your power would show up and that she would be strong in her weakness, that your power would be there. God, I pray for those marriages that are hanging on by a thread. Again, Lord, I pray that I pray that your, your power would be there. Lord, that your power would be there to bring humility and that they would quit worrying so much about their rights, but they would just remember that they're called to love each other. And Lord, I pray for those marriages that you would bring them back together again. Father, I pray for those who have heard, gotten bad news from a doctor like Doug this past week and Lita and Linda earlier. Lord, as they go through treatments, Lord, as the cumulative effect mounts and they feel like they can't go on, I pray that in their weakness, you would show your power. God, I pray for those that they've racked up so much debt and eviction notices and all kinds of stuff. I pray, God, that you would lead them financially. God, I pray for those parents that have a child that's going down the wrong road and they've prayed and they've prayed and they've prayed and they've fasted and they've wept buckets of tears. God, I pray that in your mercy and in your love that you would help them to see some progress this week where their child would take some baby steps towards God. Father, I pray for those who are just so lost in despondency and depression and feel there's no hope, Lord, that you would help them to experience some hopefulness. Father, that you would just give them a sense of your presence, that you would pull them out of this pit. And so, God, even though it sounds pretty negative and morbid the fact that you will give us more than what we can handle but lord the trade-off is so awesome whenever you come and you walk alongside of us we begin to hold your hand that little piece that we've heard so many times footprints in the sand that two sets of footprints and then it goes down to one thank you lord that there are those times when you come and you pick us up and you carry us 
Father, I do pray that right now you would just do that for some of us, Lord. We need to be carried right now. Would you minister at a deep level for those who are just going through those difficult days? Thank you for meeting our needs. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being such a loving, heavenly Father. And we just give you ourselves. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And all of God's people said, Amen and Amen. Could I just tell you before you go, stay the course, good friend. (laughs) Don't give up. We will reap a harvest if we faint not. Quit rowing. Throw your oars overboard. Put up your sail. And let God power your life today. Amen. I I do want to say, and I'm going to go ahead and and dismiss you, but uh, we've had someone that would like for us to anoint them with oil. And this is biblical. And uh, so I would just encourage uh, here in about five minutes, some of the elders, uh, those of you who are spiritually mature, uh, I would just invite you to stick around and we're going to do this and pray. We're not going to do anything weird. We don't do that here at this church, but just in simple obedience to the book of James, anoint with oil, pray a prayer of faith that there would be healing, complete healing. Thank you so much for coming. I, my love continues to grow for you. You are amazing people. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.